Hi, welcome to Nutra Champion, a podcast series where we speak with experts specializing in nutrition research, including scientists, doctors, and policy makers. Here, we will find out more about their research journey, their career, and even some personal life lessons. I'm Ting Ming, the editor of Nutra Ingredients Asia and your host for this podcast. You can listen to our past episodes on Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts. Our guest for this episode of Nutra Champion is Dr. Welma Stonehouse, the Principal Research Scientist and Research Group Leader at Australia's National Research Agency, CSIRO's Health and Biosecurity Business Unit. Dr. Stonehouse started her career more than 30 years ago as a scientific researcher and university lecturer. Prior to joining CSIRO, she was the Associate Professor in Human Nutrition at South Africa's Northwest University and New Zealand's Massey University. Dr. Stonehouse specializes in the development and scientific evaluation of human nutrition interventions and has worked with various academic partners and nutraceutical companies to scientifically validate the health benefits of nutritional products including dairy products, fish, omega-3, vitamin D, antioxidants, nuts, fruits and vegetables, fats and oils. Over the past 10 years, she has acquired almost 7.5 million of combined competitive and industry research funding. Hi, Dr. Wama. Thank you for joining me on this podcast. It's great to have you here. How are you? Um, I'm very well, thank you. Thank you, Ting Ming, for the introduction. And how are you? Yes, I'm well, thank you. Um, for a start, I, I would like to uh, find out more about um, a project that you have just concluded recently. It's a study of crow oil and its benefits for individuals suffering from mild to moderate knee osteoarthritis. Um, I understand that this study is a collaboration with health and nutrition brand Swiss and krill oil ingredient firm Ecobiomarine. And this is also one of the many projects that you have worked with, worked on with um, industry partners. So could you tell us more um, about some of the behind the scenes story, like how did the partnership with Swiss and Ecobiomarine come about? Yes, I'm happy to share. Um, so I believe Swiss and Akabaya Marine um, developed a collaborative partnership and Swiss has committed to um, developing or building the scientific evidence for several of their supplements on the market. Um, and in terms of their collaboration of Akabaya Marine, they were interested in building the scientific evidence for health claims related to cruel oil and osteoarthritis. Um, and they were seeking a independent, credible research organization to collaborate with um, to generate the high quality scientific evidence to support these health claims. And basically that is how we got involved. Yes, I, I think this trial was started a few years ago and we wrote a piece on how Swiss was in the early stages of the trial in 2018. Yes, yep, yep. It's been going on for a while. It's now um, it's been accepted for publication in one of the top tier scientific journals, the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition, um, which should be released any day now. I reckon Swiss um, was interested in partnering with us because um, 
our clinical trial unit, um, well, we've we've been um, substantiating clinical um, or nutritional products for over 30 years. So we have a very good reputation within the nutrition and nutraceuticals space. Um, we also perform our trials according to ICHGCP and several of our staff or all of our staff are either ICHGCP accredited um, or certified. Um, so I guess they were looking for a high quality or a scientific organization that can deliver high quality um, clinical trials. And aside from this, may I know what are some of the ongoing trials that you are working on? We actually have two other trials we're working on with Swiss. Um, the one is a cranberry supplement and incidence of urinary tract infection. And the other one is a cholesterol lowering supplement. So both of these are now in report writing stage, so I can't really reveal much more about them. Um, the other project we're currently working on is a project funded by um, Hort Innovation. Um, Hort Innovation is the grower-owned not-for-profit research and development corporation in Australia's, for Australia's horticultural industry. So what we're doing with that project, we want to generate the scientific evidence required to support a high-level health claim for beta-glucan from mushrooms. Um, and the project, it's a larger project. We're currently in phase one of that project that is first assessing the beta-glucan levels in Australian cultivated mushrooms. The next step is then to do some in vitro or lab-based um, experiments to see whether the beta-glucan in mushrooms has the same cholesterol-lowering mode of action than beta-glucan from oats. Um, because there's, we, it's well known that beta-glucan from oats lower cholesterol and there are health claims all over the world approved for cholesterol lowering for beta-glucan from oats. But the chemical structure of the beta-glucan in mushrooms is different to that of oats. And that's why we're doing this first phase first. And if we show that that is true, that the mode of action is the same, that will potentially um, go into a clinical trial to develop that clinical evidence and then finally pulling all of the evidence together in an, in an evidence dossier and then applying for changing the regulations to allow a health claim on beta-glucan in mushrooms and cholesterol lowering. So that is a that is a nice example of how we work across that substantiation substantiation pathway from lab to market. Um, yeah, so a very exciting mm -hmm. project. And we're now at almost at the end of phase one. So at, at the moment, we're writing the report for that. So it's quite a well-known and recognized relationship, beta-glucan mm -hmm. and lowering cholesterol levels with a lot of evidence mm -hmm. behind it, but very little evidence for mushrooms. Yes, and based on your observations, how would you fare the quality of clinical trials, human clinical trials. How has it progressed over the decades and to what extent are companies willing to invest in quality human clinical trials? Yes, yeah, so I'll start with the first part of that question in terms of progress of quality. Um, I've seen a huge amount of progress in quality 
of clinical trials over my 30 year career. Um, and I think many, some of the things that has um, really progressed the quality is things like int introduction of the trial registration. Now, um, good quality journals won't accept any manuscripts if the trial was not registered. So I think that that was a really good thing. Um, the consort guidelines that are now available, and again, good quality journals require clinical trial reporting to follow these guidelines. Um, there are also many training courses available now on conducting conducting clinical trials. When I just started out, these, these courses weren't really available. And it's not uncommon these days to see university students, for example, who will be performing clinical trials to have undertaken some ICH-GCP training. It's just really good. Um, I think we also see much better data management these days. And it's not uncommon to hear that research clinics or research undertaken at universities are using um, an electronic um, system to capture their data. And in particular, REDCAP is a data capturing um, software that is available for free. And it's a high quality electronic capturing data capturing system um, that many research clinics now use if they can't afford the most the very expensive um, CTMS systems. Um, other things I think that's really good is the sharing of data is now encouraged and much more um, and much easier to achieve these days. Also, I, I think there's much better collaboration to deliver clinical trials. In our trials, clinical trials unit, um, we are definitely seeing our trials becoming bigger and longer and more complex and involving multi-center studies, um, which I think enables good quality clinical trials. Um, but I guess we do require the resources um, and investment in clinical trials, and particularly if we want to see more evidence-based complementary medicines on the market, um, some investment in clinical trials would be important. And I think now it's even more important than ever as consumers are taking their health into their own hands and they are looking for quality products that are backed by science evidence um, on the market. Second part of your question, um, company in terms of whether companies are investing in um, quality clinical trials. I can't speak on behalf of the companies, but what I have mm -hmm. observed in the food and nutraceutical mm -hmm. space is a reluctance to invest in quality clinical trials due to cost and the time it takes to deliver these clinical trials. Um, and not many nutraceutical, nutraceutical companies has taken the road that Swiss has taken in terms of committing to developing and building that science evidence behind um, some of their products. Um, and in the food and nutraceutical space, I think companies can get away with clever marketing and they may not think that it is important um, to, to get evidence from clinical trials. Another issue I think 
that has um, reduced the investment in clinical trials in the nutraceutical space is that when companies do invest in clinical trials and the results are published, other companies can use this data to support their products. Um, so yeah, that that is that is a big limitation. But the Australian um, regulator, the Therapeutics Court Administration, has made some changes recently that I think may help to mitigate this. Um, so one of the things is that companies who register a new ingredient um, in the Australian registry for therapeutic goods may opt in to have exclusive use to that ingredient for two years. So during this period, the ingredient is restricted to the applicant or other persons nominated by the applicant. The other um, enabling pathway that the TGA introduced in 2018 was the OSTL assessed intermediate level indications, um, or the OSTLA assessed pathway for intermediate level indications, um, which means that the health claim undergoes pre-market assess assessment of the final product by the TGA um, for efficacy. And if approved, the product can um, actually have a symbol on the product label that says TGA assessed. So I think this will definitely differentiate um, those products on the market from others that do not have that. Um, and also companies can have five-year exclusivity. Um, so the data is protected. So it prevents competitors from using the data to support their products, um, health claims. Um, so I think those things will make it make it easier and hopefully will generate some more, um, more companies investing in clinical trials. Yes, indeed. The part about uh, you know competitors using um, the scientific findings to back up their products, I think this is a valid concern among the industry players. I also have seen that clinical trials take time to deliver and there's not, not really an easy way to get around that. I mean, you can improve efficiencies, but it still takes time. And sometimes company strategies change. By the time the clinical trial is done, the strategy has changed. So I, I think they're looking for ways to get evidence quicker. Um, so that, I guess, is also a limitation. May I know usually how long is a trial from the start to the end, um, including, you know, the, the, the start meaning from the design, conceptualization of the study until the the, the, the findings are being published? Yeah, that's, um, it's, it's hard to say because it depends so much on the clinical trial and the duration of the clinical trial and how hard it will be re to recruit um, the specific participants. But I would say probably between a year and three years. If you have, and so, I mean, some trials you can do acute type of studies, um, but you still yeah. have to go through the process of ethics application and, you know, all, all of those processes. Um, and that may be a year long study. Um, other studies may, you may need a six month intervention. Um, and that could be two to three years 
to, to, to deliver, I think, from start to finish, from writing the protocol ethics application to the paper on uh, or the manuscript published. Um, I see that most of the trials, they take place over uh, eight to 12 weeks. So is this the norm? I think it's it really de it depends on your uh, on the outcome that you are measuring and also the um, intervention product. So there's not one size fits all. You really need to look at those. So um, the intervention, it may take up to six months to see a change in the intervention. And then if you think if I could use the krill oil um, example again, it takes up to six months for the tissues to get saturated with the omega-3 fatty acids. So you need to allow for that time. Um, yeah, so there's really, it, it really depends on what you're measuring and what the intervention is. But for if your outcome, for example, is cholesterol, you can see changes in cholesterol after four weeks, after three to four weeks. Um, and often the trial will go on for longer to also show a maintenance effect. Um, but yes, you can get away with a four to four to eight week trial when cholesterol is the, the, the primary outcome. So it, it really depends on what the outcome is and what you're testing. And all of those things need to be taken into account and the trial needs to be designed according to that. This links nicely to my next question. What do you think are the top three elements required for a high quality trial um, that can be possibly be published in a high impact factor journal as well? Yeah, you only limit me to three. <laughs> there's, there's, so, there's so many things. I, I thought three, you can you could probably put those under study design, mm. study population, mm and dose and duration. So study design, um, it is important to use a globally accepted gold standard methodology, um, namely randomized placebo controlled double blind, if that is possible. And it's really important to build controls into your study design to ensure that neither the study staff or the participants or the statistician or the sponsor of the trial can influence the result in any way. Um, and then part of study design is the how do you measure the outcome? And it's really important to use valid, reliable, standardized, recognized assessment methods and to consider whether the effect you are seeing is clinically meaningful. So that's study design. Study population, I think, is also critical. Um, it is important that the study population represent the target group for whom the intervention will be intended. And if I can use the cruel oil study again as an example, um, we recruited people with mild to moderate knee osteoarthritis that were appropriately diagnosed um, by the study physicians in the study using the, the recognized criteria for knee osteoarthritis. We chose mild to moderate because that meant there was room for improvement in knee pain. But we didn't want to include people with severe knee osteoarthritis 
because they may be beyond the point of improvement with a supplement or they may require high doses of drugs um, that may mask the effect of a supplement. We also chose people who had low habitual intakes of omega-3 polyunsaturated fatty acids so that there was room for improvement in the omega-3 status. If we recruited people that already consumed high levels of omega-3s, it would be very hard to show an additional effect on top of that. Um, and then the last thing in terms of some study populations that you have a sufficient sample size. There are lo lots of clinical trials published that don't have um, the appropriate sample size. And again, there's no um, right or there's no one size fits all here. It depends on your outcome variable. So you do need to do those statistical power calculations to make sure that you have the right sample size. And for our study, we needed 235, which is the number that we recruited. But for a study on cholesterol, for example, you would get you would be able to get away with a with 20 per group. So it really depends um, on what outcome you're measuring. The third point had to do with dose. Um, and this is where we work. And again, I'm going to use the Crowell study as an example, where we worked very closely with the sponsor in determining the right dose. And we spend a lot of time considering what dose um, is likely to be most effective. And so we looked at the scientific evidence to see what level or what dose is going to exert that anti-inflammatory effect, which is the mechanism through which knee pain and osteoarthritis is um, affected. But we had to balance that out with what is actually feasible, because if you, to the consumer in the end, they have to be able to buy the product and it needs to be um, the costs need to be feasible and also you can't expect people to consume 10 capsules a day. So you have to be practical as well. So it's the balance of the science and the um, practicality and feasibility of the actual supplement. So in the Cruel World study, participants consumed four capsules per day um, of Cruel World that provided almost 0.9 grams of eicosapentaenoic acid and deoxanoic acid, the long chain omega-3s, and point, almost 0.5 grams of astaxanthin. Um, and, but the, what, what we were very, what was, we were very lucky with is that the superba boost that was supplied by Akabai Marine was a more concentrated form of cruel oil that you usually buy on the market. Um, so it, may, it meant that you could get away with a lower dose to get a certain amount of omega-3s. And also the omega-3s in cruel oil is in a different form than that of fish oil. It's in the form of phospholipids, um, which has been shown to enhance the, the um, incorporation of the omega-3s into tissues. Um, so much better than that in the triglyceride form from fish oil. So all of these things we took into account when we decided on the dose. 
And I believe um, that's part of why we showed some really great results is because we had not only a quality study, but also the right dose. And the right population and the right duration. So all of those things, I think, yeah, feed into, um, you know, enhancing the chances to see the effect that you intend to see. It's just the good, good quality design. How else can Nutra firms work with research organizations to further improve the quality of human clinical trials? Um, yes, I, I think the, um, the Swiss CSIRO model was a good example of a successful collaboration. I think it's really important to um, build a close, transparent and honest relationship between the industry partner and the science partner. Um, but critically important that both parties respect the importance of protecting the integrity and the credibility of the science while working together. And um, the International Life Sciences Institute or ILSI North America has developed some guiding principles to protect the integrity and credibility of the scientific record. And they focus particularly on health, nutrition and food safety science. And those are really good, um, I think, guiding principles in terms of how to protect that um, the science credibility and it comes down to I think four things the research must be designed and conducted according to best practice standards by scientists and while you can work with the sponsor to develop the, the research the, it should be driven by the science it should be published in the public domain within a pre-agreed time frame regard, regardless of the time the trial outcome so we should not only publish positive studies, but also negative studies. Um, they, they are also important. Um, the data and the analysis must be publicly accessible and any conflict of interest should be disclosed. Yes, especially when a trial has been funded by the product sponsors. Yeah, yes. But I'm just, how else would you get the science out there? If, if we didn't collaborate, you know, I, I think, I think that collaboration is really important, but yes, it, it, it does get a lot of criticism. So you do have to navigate that and make sure that at any cost you protect that science integrity. Yes, this is true as well. I have got one last question for you. Moving forward, what are some of the nutritional ingredients or products? that you would like to work on for human nutrition, human clinical trials? Yeah, uh, well, I, I just hope to continue to support industry and um, SMEs and scientists to, to help them generate the scientific validation for their new products or technologies. Um, but I think important things, important um, interventions um, coming up would be things like interventions to prevent antimicrobial resistance. That's a really important issue. Um, interventions for gut health and beyond. So gut brain, gut metabolic, gut immune function axes. Um, 
natural interventions for cardiometabolic health to avoid the adverse events associated with the drugs like statins. Um, I think another future area that will become more important is the more personalized targeted approach for nutraceuticals. And I mentioned the example um, about our from our cruel oil study where we showed that participants with the greatest level of inflammation at baseline experience greater improvements in knee pain. But in our trial, this was an exploratory, exploratory finding. We did not plan and started the trial with this goal in mind. So it's exploratory and um, it is important that is followed up and a trial is planned around testing that effect. But it makes sense to me that you know, when you do a clinical trial, not everybody in your intervention is going to benefit. But if you can identify those most likely to benefit and purchase that product um, to improve their health um, would be really valuable. And another example would be, um, I mentioned products for cardiometabolic health, um, looking at the cholesterol metabolism um, it is a complex interactive homeostatic system and the LDL cholesterol could be out of balance within several parts of this system. It could be that um, there's an increased synthesis of cholesterol in the liver or it could be that there's an increased absorption of cholesterol in the gut. So the reason for the high cholesterol level could be in different there could be different reasons for it. So if you were able to target those specific um, systems that are out of balance, you may, the product may be more, the intervention may be more effective um, or even maybe a combination of ingredients that could target various parts of the homeostasis, of the cholesterol homeostasis, not just one part of it. Um, yeah, so that's that's those are some of the things that I think might be important going forward and that I I would love to work on going forward or my team um, at CSIRO would love to work on. Indeed, these are some of the areas that are of immense interest to the industry as well. And we have now come to the end of our podcast. Thank you so much for the insights, Dr. Wama. Thank you. That I really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you. If you like this podcast, you can subscribe to Neutral Champion on Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts. You can also head to NeutralIngredients-Asia.com for more content and news on the nutrition industry.